Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Auburn Day podcast. Uh, we're filming this one, just kind of raw, raw reaction. We've got our fr- just about 20, 20 minutes after the Auburn-UConn game just ended. Uh, obviously, we'll be talking about basketball and football on this podcast, but we're just going to jump into a little bit of the basketball talk just because it's fresh on our minds. Uh, so, Wheeler, you know, a tough loss. What were your thoughts kind of going into that game? Uh, just kind of tell us what before the game, if you thought we were going to win, lose, whatever. Uh, going in just as the game progressed, just kind of how your thought process changed throughout the game and just kind of walks through that. Yeah, so I think starting off, I did not have really high expectations for this game going into the going into it. We talked this weekend about it and the way that Bruce was talking in his press conferences about how the team had been playing and practicing recently. Um, he didn't sound super confident in their ability to compete with these high-level teams right now. He was basically saying, you know, we have the talent. They just haven't been putting it all together. And I really thought that at moments in this game, they were able to put it all together. The game, to me, really had four four games within the game. You have the first, like, five to seven minutes. Then you have from like 15 minutes in the first half to 11 minutes in the second half where UConn really dominated and it looked like things were going to kind of get out of hand the way that I was expecting the game to go where we look good, where a young team just don't have it together. Then all of a sudden starting at about that 11 minute mark, they start bringing in the full court press and the offense just starts clicking a little bit. And they go on a little bit of a run. They get some confidence. And this team, they showed today that there was zero quit. I mean, even in that second overtime. So then the last part of that four-part game, to me, was that overtime. First overtime and second overtime. Thought they played their hearts out. KD Johnson, MVP of the game. I hope he's able to do that every single game. I don't think that he's necessarily going to be a guy that you can rely on to do that in every single game. But, I mean, man, the guy balled out today. Jabari Smith, too. They were mentioning it on the broadcast, and it was really true what they were saying about how it looked like he was growing up, like, during the game. First half, I think he had three points. He had three fouls. Granted, one of the fouls was really bad call at the end of the half where he got all ball on a – block three-point attempt they call foul and the guy gets three free throws and he drills two ends up really changing the way the game is other than that though I mean Walker Kessler had a really tough game uh did some good things on the offensive side but Sonogo was just bullying the guy yeah really unfortunate I was expecting him to be a little bit more of a presence down low 
it seems like he's not he's not quite there physically and i i think he can get there because he has the size like he's not a small guy he's not the biggest guy for 71 but he's also not small uh and i thought at times today he might have i don't think he was just playing the game i think he was thinking a lot cuz he looked a lot slower in a lot of situations than he normally does uh there were there were some plays where he there was that one really good block he had on Sonogo where he comes back door after Sonogo does a little blow by move and he knocks it out and that's those are the kind of plays that I see and I'm like okay so you have the speed to do this he just almost gets I don't know if he gets like his feet stuck under him or what um but he was really struggling on the defensive end especially with Sonogo just being huge but I mean the guy also had some really good post moves and everything was falling for him. I mean, second half, it was not quite as bad, but I feel like the defense didn't improve that much on him in the second half. It was really just his shots kind of evened out. He wasn't hitting everything. I did like Bruce did eventually make the adjustment towards the end of the game when Auburn started making the comeback and points were really at a premium where he was bringing a guard down to kind of double team Sonogo, and that was pretty successful. So – Tough game for Walker, great day game for KD, great game for Jabari. Really thought they stepped up. Honestly, I thought Devin Cambridge had one of the best games of his Auburn career. Um, he's had those games where he's had like 30 points in a game, but those were always against really bad teams. And he played a really solid game today. Maybe it was not the highest of his highs. Noble's giving me a funny look. He played – he had – He's not had one of these type of games, though, where he just plays a solid game. From Devin, I feel like it's been peaks and valleys his entire career, where he's either going off against South Carolina for 30 points and he hits every single three, you know, in the famous picture of the old lady going crazy behind him, or he's like, I'm going to shoot 10 threes and he makes one out of 10. You know, but today I was really impressed. He did have a crucial three-pointer, thought his defense improved, thought the the defense on the press was really good from the entire team, especially in overtime, being able to get some turnovers in crucial moments. And, I mean, they when you're turning people over like that, that keeps you in games because that's that's a whole 30 seconds that the other team can't run off the clock, not to mention it's guaranteed that they're not going to get a b- bucket. So make it creating turnovers like that. This team is the first team that I feel like Bruce has had, other than potentially the Final Four team, that plays the style that he was playing at Tennessee. I think it's taken him this long to recruit the type of athletes that he wants to run that Tennessee style. He's got a bunch of speed um, with his guards, and then he's got really big bigs. Um, and that's that's the kind of style he likes to play because you can go and you can – press up in the the beginning and then towards the back end you have some size uh it kind of bit him today with with walker but overall i think it was a, a really good effort and basketball is really strange because there's never been a football game well i take that back there's only been one football game ever that auburn lost and i felt really good about the loss and that was the and we'll talk about this game later in the pod uh the 2009 Auburn game, going into that championship season, and it was the first time that I felt like 
the team was clicking and felt like there was improvement being made. And I feel like this game almost had that feeling of, yes, we lost. That loss is not going to kill us in tournament time. In fact, I mean, the committee are people. So they're going to see it was a double overtime game against a really solid team. They're not going to count that as a, even though it's counted as a loss. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's still, you went to double overtime. Like, you're the same team, whether you end up with one extra point or not at the end of that game. Yeah, I totally agree. And just to kind of build on that last part, like, UConn was an underrated team going in. And going into this game, I, I thought we were going to lose by 15. But, I mean, I, I, did not think, I, I did not think we would really compete in this game like we did. I thought we were going to lose. I thought we were going to learn a lot about the team. Uh, and we did definitely learn a lot about the team. But UConn's a great team. And the thing is, like, just going through, you know, Adama Sonogo, super talented player, highly recruited guy, second-year player. He's a sophomore, really good guy. You go through the rest of their team, like the rest of their starting lineup, they're all seniors, except for one who's a junior. Their bench is juniors and seniors and then one freshman. Like the team is insanely – and they've none of them are transfers. They've all been at UConn. They're all, they've all been playing together for years. Like it's the kind of thing, and it's just – you look at kind of Auburn's successful teams in the years. I mean, you look at, you know, the Final Four team. It was junior, senior, you know, one one or two kind of younger guys, but it was like – most of the guys were older people, and that's how you win in college basketball. And I think that one of the reasons – or you know, not a reason that we lost, but, I mean, you just look at our team and we have some transfers. We got to gel a little bit more. In these early season tournaments, experience matters a ton. So I think that was just kind of one thing just to look at. Um, KD Johnson, absolute baller, 27 points, five steals. I mean, 11 of 16 from free throws. Obviously, you wanted to make want him to make a couple more, but – can't fault him. I mean, he played a fantastic game. I think if you just kind of look at just how we played, we played, we played pretty, and even when, even when we were losing, it was because we were making stupid turnovers, you know, like it wasn't like UConn was just playing out. I mean, they were playing really well, but it was also like, okay, they, I think they had, it was our, I think at our 10th turnover, they had three steals. They had only forced three out of the first 10 turnovers. So a lot of it was just us playing sloppy, and that's what kind of messed us up. And then we started fighting. We started coming back. Um, you know, obviously we got got some some calls from the refs that weren't entirely our way. But in that second overtime period, if I'm looking at it as an unbiased way, the reason we came back from when we were down 10 or 11 in that second overtime period. The reason we came back was we had one or two calls that were not fouls that we got shots for. So the game's probably not as close if we don't get some of those iffy, iffy foul calls when in, in that second overtime period. Um, I love Bruce's adjustments. I thought he coached a fantastic game. Uh, putting Jabari and Jalen on Sonogo in the second half really slowed him down. Uh, Jabari played a fantastic game. And one thing, you know, you, you touched on it with what the commentators were saying, you know, how he grew up in the game. And something, one little complaint, the really, the only complaint that I had had of Jabari was that he was too predictable. He would get, he would get the ball and he wanted to shoot the ball. He wanted to do a little fadeaway jumper, he wanted to shoot a mid-range or shoot a three. He never went to the basket and you always knew what he was doing. And he was just like that in the first half. And that's why he missed a lot because – he was predictable. They knew what he was doing, all that. Second half, he started driving to the basket more, getting fouled, went 12-12 from the free throw line, and ended up having a really solid game. 
And the thing is, he plays, and this is something that it's like, this is how you differentiate pro players from just good college basketball players. Like, you look at Jabari, Isaac had this too. It's like, even when their shots aren't falling or even when they're not super involved on the offensive end, you can tell that the team is so much better when they're on the floor just by how they play defense and just how they how the ball can move through them in the offense. They're just so good at the game of basketball that it's just the game comes so naturally and the team just plays so much better when they're on the floor. So can't sing Jabari's praises enough, really talented player, but definitely player of the game goes to KD Johnson. I mean, was just absolutely, absolutely amazing, was definitely the MVP. And you looked at tonight and it was, for Auburn at least, I think you could make the argument that Katie Johnson was the best player on the floor with how he was playing on the offensive and defensive end, just causing turnovers, keeping us in the game, getting the crowd hyped up. I mean, he is just such a guy that you just love, love to have on your team. Uh, but definitely glad, definitely glad that KD was able to play like he did. I thought Zepp Jasper and Wendell Green both played really solid games, especially Zepp on defense was, he was a problem. I mean, it was just – this game was a, a big thing because it was – you know, when, when, you, when you beat Moorhead State, when you beat ULM, even – I mean, USF's not a bad team, but they're not, they're not what UConn is. But seeing that our guys could still put forth really good performances and do the same things that they were doing to those lesser teams to a really good team like UConn, that was encouraging for when conference play rolls around, you're playing the Tennessees, the Kentuckys, the Alabamas, the Arkansas, that – that the guys are still going to be competing the same way and you're still going to see success on the court in, in those games uh, like we have throughout the season. Yeah. The sec is going to be loaded. I was watching Arkansas last night in whatever uh, pregame tournament they're in and they looked really, really solid. Um, Georgia looked terrible in their pregame tournament. Uh, that may be one of the few, easier wins but honestly Georgia's kind of had Auburn's number in recent years in basketball I don't know what the deal with that's been but you would expect Katie Johnson to have about as much effort as he did tonight maybe if not more when he goes back uh to play against Georgia but yeah I mean it's like you said all of this happened against a really good team without your leading scorer so you have to be encouraged with that also Thought it was very interesting. Dylan Cardwell gets into the game for a little while, has a couple of bad possessions, and then gets benched the entire time. Do you think that that is going to be a thing this season with Bruce now that he has so much depth that if you just aren't getting it done and you're making dumb mistakes, he gets pulled? Or do you think that that's going to be about how many minutes Dylan gets for the rest of the season? Uh, I think that in – it, I think it depends on the game, really, because Dylan will have some games where he comes in and he plays really well. But, again, he never plays really well against elite bigs. And the thing is, you know, you know, Walker got absolutely abused in the first half. I mean, there's no denying that. Sonogo just destroyed him in every sense of the word. But Adama Sonogo is probably the best big man Auburn will play all season. Like, I would say he is a top – I mean, definitely a top five big in college basketball. I mean, the guy is just unreal. Uh, I mean, just great player. And the SEC is much more typically guard heavy opposed to big heavy, you know, in, in most years. So I think that Dylan will get – he'll find a role. I think he'll play a few more minutes than he did tonight. 
Uh, I didn't think he played a ton today, but the thing is, Jalen Williams especially is a guy that'll be competing with Dylan for minutes. And Jalen's just, I mean, he's just better than, I mean, he's more versatile. He's a better defender. He's more consistent with offense. He can shoot the ball better. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, Jalen's just better than Dylan is. And I think that that's just going to be the deciding factor that Jalen's going to take a lot more minutes that would belong to Dylan. And instead of splitting them, it's just like Jalen's so much better that Jalen's just going to get almost starter minutes. Like, I, you know, the minutes haven't come in for this game, but I mean, it felt like Jalen played just as much, if not more than Walker did, who's actually the starting center. And the thing is, you know, I, te- I remember I texted you about it. You know, we pulled Devin, and I think it was we had uh, – it was – I think we actually had Dylan in the game. It was Dylan and Jabari, and then Jalen came in and took Devin's spot. So, I mean, Jalen can play the three, four, and five with total ease and can defend all five levels. I mean, and that's the thing that you really like about a guy like Jalen Williams is that he can come in anywhere and be extremely effective, and that's something that Dylan just doesn't have. Dylan can play the five and the five only. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. And I feel like Bruce really wants that versatility because there were multiple times on the floor where you didn't know who was playing. Like, there'd be times where KD and Wendell were out there and then you had Jabari and Jalen, and they would just switch off of who they were guarding and what, what they were doing. Like, with to- they changed within possessions, it almost seems like. Like there, there looked like there were plays that were called where basically Jabari would play the four and Jalen would play the five. And then halfway through, they're switching the offensive set and they're switching the position they're playing based off of who can shoot and what the matchup is. And I think that's what Bruce really likes is just that versatility of it's really hard to watch film and figure out and to game plan against somebody when one game they run this offensive set and this guy's playing this position. And then the next game, they've switched who's running that offensive set or who that offensive set is for. Um, that's the versatility that I think will serve them well going into March. And I, I really liked the full-court defense that they were – I thought that was the best full-court oh, sure. defense that Auburn's had since Bruce has been here. It really reminded me of the Tennessee days where – he, I mean, he used to run the full-court defense like every single game, just about all game. Uh, and it was highly effective because a lot of teams – yeah, you're going to get burned on it a few times. But, I mean, teams are going to score. It's basketball. Like, you're not going to hold somebody to not score. And the full-court press really makes it difficult, and it's great. Auburn's got a lot of dudes. Like, they've got – they could have an 11- to 12-man rotation come by the time Allen's back where you can run full-court press, and that's fine because we got plenty of bodies that we can rotate in and out. And you're going to run into some teams that are not nearly that deep and that it'll really get them. I even thought that UConn really started to fall off. I know they were able to pull pull away at the end. I think that was more so, you know, giving up a couple of three balls. But I thought that the strength and conditioning and the ability to rotate people, I thought Auburn looked like a much fresher team uh, towards the end of the game and into overtime. Yeah, I totally agree. And just kind of kind of building on that, you know, I think I thought that our full court press was amazing. I thought it was, you know, I thought that our full court press in, I guess it was the 2020 season, when you know, the year we had Samir and Isaac and all those guys. And it was, uh, I thought that was a really good full court defense. And I thought it was a really good defense as a whole. 
this year's defense, I think, is better. Like, I think if you look at the five, I, I, there's not a there's not a singular guy that's like Isaac was who will just, you know, who is just locked down. But I feel like at, if you look at the starting five and even on the bench, I think the defense as a unit is better. And the full court press, I mean, I've just never seen an Auburn defense that can play the full court press like that. Uh, that was really good. And just another thing, it was like, you know, what you were saying with, you know, you're going to get burned a couple of times, you know, they're going to score. UConn was doing an incredible job of scoring. And I think that that is something that, you know, a lot of the time you look at these preseason tournaments and good teams will get blown out and good teams will blow someone out. But once you hit March, everyone figures it out. That'll happen today, whatever. But the reason that happens is when one team gets really hot and one team is human. Like you look at, you you know, Gonzaga beat UCLA by what, like 20 last night? Something like that? They won by 20. UCLA... UCLA is still going to be a good team once the tournament hits. They're going to be fine. Gonzaga always starts hot. They're still going to be good, all that. But Gonzaga was unreal last night. UConn shot 58% from three on, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. It was one, it was 26 attempts. I mean, they went 15 of 26 from three. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. And the thing was, it was this, like, it felt like the same guys. I mean, they really only had three guys that were really shooting it, and they were all shooting insane percentages. So you look at that and you're like, okay, like that's tough. You had a ton of guys that shoot 60, 65% from the free throw line that didn't miss. Like Adama Sonogo went six of seven. He's a 60% free throw shooter. Like yeah. he's the kind of guy that you hack when it's a close game so that you put him at the line because he's not going to make it. But he was draining them tonight. I mean, you had another guy, uh, what's his name? Gaffney. Gaffney shot 65% from free throw. He shot six of eight. Like Polly shot six of seven. Like these guys aren't necessarily just sharpshooters from the free throw line. They were just not missing. And same with the three, the three point line. Like they're good shooters. Yeah. But like teams don't shoot 58% from three, like at some point, And there were so many times where I was just like, like there were some times where I was like, okay, we could have played better defense, but there were, a, there were a lot of possessions where I was just like, well, I mean, you can't do anything about that. Like, some of those plays that Sonogo had, I was just like, okay, dude, like, you're you – know, I mean, you're three feet outside the restricted area shooting a turnaround hook shot, and you're draining it over someone who's 7-1 jumping up. Like, that is something that most pros can't do consistently. I mean, the guy – I mean, these guys were just on an absolute tear, and we hung with them, and there were multiple plays that if it – you know, ball bounces a little differently, we can win. And so, obviously – it's a tough loss. But the thing is when you play a team that is a top 15 team in the country, no doubt. I mean, that they are one of the 15 best teams in college basketball this season, at least from what I've seen. If you play a team like that, who is really good, who is shooting probably the best they'll shoot all season. I mean, most, you're, you're not going to shoot more than 58% from three. And if you do, no. it's, I mean, like, it's just incredible. So if you play a team like that, that plays insane, and I mean, they beat you. It's one thing. That's okay. We shot, I mean, we shot 40% from three, 80% from the line. That's not bad. That's pretty, that's actually pretty, that's pretty darn good. That probably will be one of the better games that we do shooting, especially from the free throw line. So I'm just saying that like, yes, this game was frustrating, but the thing was UConn was just on one of those. They just had one of those games where they weren't missing. They were firing on all cylinders. We were almost there. Couldn't close it out. And we're playing without, our best player from last season. So, right. And I think the one, the one area that I think 
Auburn could improve on that would have changed this game, and it goes back to those threes, is the offensive, allowing offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. We got killed by their, their offensive rebound. Their percentage of scoring on their second chances off of offensive rebounds was what won them the game. Because our defense coming down the court was really solid. Our rebounding after that defense was poor, I yeah. would say. I mean, it wasn't it, – it was, it was not great. Um, I don't have the stat in front of me. I just feel like at multiple key points in the game, there were really big offensive rebounds from them. And conversely, I feel like we were not able to get many offensive rebounds. Um, KD Johnson did have that one little strip that I guess you could consider it an offensive rebound. But other than that, that was that was kind of where the game was won and lost, in my opinion, was their ability to get second chance opportunities and to execute on them. Yeah, I agree. And you know, that that was something, you know, Walker Kessler in the first half played a not good game. I mean, he did not play well in the first half in really any facet of the game. The second half, he was still struggling on defense a little bit, but he had some clutch rebounds and he had some really good plays on the offensive glass. He finished with four offensive rebounds and he ended up finishing with 14 points, but a lot of those were on, you know, putbacks that happened in clutch times. So I definitely think that Connecticut definitely did a better job of the offensive rebounds than we did, especially in just getting an offensive rebound, kicking it out, hitting a three. But that is definitely something that we need to work on. Uh, and just another thing I wanted to go back to, you know, you were kind of talking about Devin Cambridge playing, playing a solid game. I thought that in the full court press aspect of the game, he played pretty well. Now, my thing is when Allen comes back, I just don't see, I'll be interested to see how Bruce adjusts the minutes with mainly, I feel like it'll be Chris Moore will lose some minutes that Devin will take. Because if you look at Allen, I mean, there's there's nothing that Devin does that is better than Allen. I mean, the old, like Allen shoots better, Allen plays defense better, Allen passes better, Allen takes care of the ball more. Allen just he's a better in-game dunker. I mean, Devin can jump higher and is flashier, but in game, I mean Allen's a better player. And so I think when you start Allen, I think that the lineup will be complete. And I think that it'll be I mean, you've got it, the defense in that lineup is just going to be really good. I'm excited to see that, but I'm interested to see how Devin's minutes uh, go in with Chris Moore minutes because I feel like I feel like Chris Moore has a little bit more than what we've seen. Like I feel like he's gonna I feel like he's gonna pan out a little bit more than you know. Obviously, he had a really big second half against ULM, but really, other than that, he's been a lot of what he was last year. And I just think that there's just a little bit more. I think he's just been a little slow to start, but I think once we kind of get into the season, I think he'll play better than he has been, and I'll be interested to see how. Chris and Devin's minutes kind of coincide when when Allen comes back in late December. Yeah, it'll be an interesting transition for sure uh, to see how Allen integrates back into this team. But also, I think that Allen got a lot of good practice with the new NCAA rules where they were able to start practicing just about in the spring semester. I mean, early summer. So they had a lot of time practicing with Allen going with through formations with Allen. So while they haven't done it much recently, it's not like these guys have never played basketball with Allen and have no idea what it's going to be like when Allen gets back. Like he he was part of the team when they were doing organized team practices 
Uh, so it, I don't think it'll be as big of a transition as it would have been in years past when somebody gets hurt when Allen got hurt. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Because, uh, you know, you look at the uh, – a couple of years ago when Daniel Purifoy kind of came back and it was a very, very slow transition for him to get back into the – back into the groove and looking like he was a, you know, natural part of the team. But I definitely think that Allen will be able – to get in there quicker. And I think it'll really just be a three, four game adjustment before he is a hundred percent in with the rotation. And worst case scenario that Danielle year you're talking about was the year they went to the final four and he was yeah. up and running by the time the SEC tournament hit. Yeah. And that was, sure. I mean, like we said, a different situation in a worse way. So he yeah. all, and so I think that's worst case for Allen is that the team gets up and running by tournament time. Because that's really – that's all that matters. I mean, in college yeah. basketball, let's be real. It's fun to win SEC championships. That's not necessary for winning championships. The Final Four team finished fifth in the SEC, and the SEC was much worse that year than it is this year. You could finish sixth or seventh in this league and get hot and win a couple of games and go to the Sweet 16. Yeah. So – I'm not as concerned about wins and losses in the regular season. I see it all, almost as just seeding at this point, as long as they're playing well. It's like today. Like if you have a couple of losses in the regular season that are like this, where your team plays well, the ball just doesn't bounce your way and you win, like that's just what college basketball is, and you still have a really good shot going forward. I would like to not have blowout losses. And it's always good to win close games just to get used to that for tournament time. But, yeah, overall, I'm pleased. The comment section was pleased. It's probably the most pleased any of us have been with Auburn Athletics since the Sunday after the Akron game. Well, yeah, and, you you know, just another thing, it's like you look, in, you look at it and you're like, okay, yes, we lost. There were a lot of players that played well. But another thing was just the mindset. You know, like there were so many times down the stretch in those overtimes. I mean, Jabari, Jabari wasn't missing from the line. He wasn't, he wasn't worried. He wasn't hesitant. I mean, he went, he confidently shot. He made his free throws. KD confidently shot, made his free throws. They were making free throws in clutch moments, which is something that I haven't seen from an Auburn team in years. Maybe ever. I mean, maybe even the Final Four team sucked at shooting free throws. I was about to say, I don't think I've ever seen Auburn shoot well from the free throw line. If they can keep the, yeah, exactly. If they can keep this up, they will be able to close out a lot of games and, you know, just keep us in games. And it's just, if we can shoot 80, if we can shoot 80% from the line, I mean, you're, you're super happy with that. You're super happy with that, especially in college basketball. Because you're just not you're not going to shoot higher than that. I mean, unless you're just having a really good game, like in in most games you're not going to shoot higher than that. Uh, so definitely, I'm excited about that. Uh, Auburn will play, I believe Loyola. I believe they uh, they lost to Michigan State in that close one. That'll be a real tough test. That's a good team. That is a good good team. Really well coached. They've been playing together for a long, long time. Made some runs in the tournament. I mean, that, that'll be a really good game. I'll be interested to see how Auburn kind of bounces back from this close loss uh, taking on a really good team. But if we can win, I mean, if we can win that game, you know, I'm, I'm ha- I really don't want to get swept in this tournament, obviously. But, if you know, if we can beat, lose close to a really good team and then win against a really good team, 
I think that would set a great, great tone for just kind of coming back to Auburn and really kind of a not super, not super difficult slate. I mean, they're, they're good teams on it. They're obviously winnable and losable games. But Auburn, I think if we play like we did today, we will run through the rest of the non-conference play with little to no trouble. So it'll definitely be interesting to, to see how that works out. But one that more game thing. will be at 1.30 tomorrow. So if you're listening to us on your way to your Thanksgiving meal, maybe Thanksgiving morning you're listening, game's at 1.30 on ESPN2. Just heads up. Thank you for that. Uh, just one more thing that I wanted to ask you about. You know, we had a bit of a lineup change uh, starting Katie Johnson over the, in the place of Wendell Green. Uh, this was a this was kind of a move that surprised me with not necessarily with how I mean with how Katie was playing I expected him to be in consideration for the starting lineup but I thought that if we took anybody out it would have been Zepp and have Zepp be the sixth man but we took out Wendell uh, obviously we've talked about Katie a ton we know how he played in the starting lineup but I mean Wendell went six of twelve four of eight from three three or four from the line um, had five assists two steals and 19 points. I mean, he played a, I mean, he played a pretty good game. So do you think that this will be, because now that you've kind of seen both players in that six man role, are you thinking that KD should be a starter from here on out? Uh, Do you like him more kind of leading that bench unit? Do you like Wendell leading the bench unit? Just kind of how, how do you see the, uh, the lineup going uh, from now on looking at the guard spot? Yeah. um, I don't know. It, that's a tough one because I feel like Jalen is already kind of your spark guy coming off the bench. Um, KD gives you such good effort. I think you got to start KD. Um, I think I'm a little surprised that Wendell was playing over Zepp. I know Wendell had a lot of points tonight. I just feel like Zepp is – you're giving up a lot to have – Wendell on the floor when you're on defense like if he's not having a good night on offense it's a game that honestly I don't think he plays much because he's given up so much on the on the defensive end that if he hadn't getting buckets like it isn't worth having him out there whereas Zepp reminds me of a more traditional point guard where guys out there if he's not having a great night on offense he can still get you some stuff on defense um but, yeah, I mean, I really liked Wendell uh, him shooting today. He kind of went quiet there for a while. He, like, started off really hot in the first half and then kind of quieted down till the overtime. But, uh, yeah, I, I think – I don't think that the starting lineup is necessarily as important for Bruce because he doesn't really care. And just because you didn't start doesn't mean you're not going to get more minutes than the guy that did. Yeah, And I don't even know if that's a game plan thing going in. I really think Bruce is one of those guys that rides the hot hand. Um, kind of like we've thought the running back room should go in football where, you know, if Jarquez is having a great day, keep on feeding Jarquez. If Tank's having a good day, feed Tank. Don't get stuck on who's the starter. Just play who's playing well that day because it's sports. But, I mean, that everyone doesn't play great every single day. And unless you're Jabari Smith, who you know is eventually going to put it together. You know, if you're a more average player, you may just go with a hotter hand instead of saying, no, like, this is the guy. Like, he's going to get it. Like, Jabari had three points in the first half. (coughs) Goes off in the second half. But also, 
difference is Jabari is really good at defense, whereas the other guys not really getting a whole lot done for you on the defensive end. Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with what you're saying. And, you know, just kind of talking about if you look at the guards, it's a very weird, it's a very weird group because we really don't have it's like we you look at last year and you had Sharif, who was, I mean, when you look at his court vision and his facilitating ability, it was the one of the best I've ever seen in college basketball from any team. If you looked at with the team without Sharif, it was one of the most I mean, we were just like a chicken with our head cut off. Nobody really knew. No one could facilitate. Allen tried his best, but Allen, it seemed like you were just putting your best player at point guard just to have the ball in his hands the whole time. It seemed like upward basketball. Yeah, exactly. It seemed like you were just like, well, we're just going to put our best guy here and just have him do his own thing. This year, it's not, and it's not real. I mean, like, when, like Wendell, he's not. I mean, he, he's a good facilitator. Zep's a good facilitator. Like, they're okay. They're not, like, you know, they're not, they're not great. Like, you see those guys trying to throw lobs, and it's horrible. Like, we can't, we can't connect on a lob because the, their passing ability isn't great. I think we had one turnover where Wendell tried to throw an oop to Devin, and it got, got packed and got yeah. sent the other way, and they got an easy layup on the other side. From it. Exactly. Whereas Sharif makes those kind of passes in his sleep. So you just look at that. But also you look at our point guard situation, you're like, okay, like there's not a problem because they don't turn it over really. Like Wendell, Wendell is probably the most natural, almost like point guard player. Like with how you think of a college basketball point guard in today's today's college basketball. The thing I really like about Zepp is that he doesn't force anything. Like if he's open from three, he's shooting it like he should. He's confident he can knock it down at a decent rate. If he's open, he's shooting it. If there's an open lane, he'll take it through the lane. He'll lay it up, you know, whatever. If he is going to try and draw a foul, he's going to try and draw a foul. But Zeps doesn't think he's the spark plug. He doesn't think he's like, he's like, oh, I'm the point guard. I've got I've to score here. I've got to get us a bucket. No, he's like, all right, I'm going to try and play point guard. If I'm open, I'll shoot. Otherwise, I'm going to pass it. He's a really smart player, and that's why I really like him playing point guard. KD, KD's almost not even a point guard, honestly. Like, he's just kind of – he doesn't really have – he's just a scorer. He just plays basketball. He scores. He tries to get steals. He's tough, has great effort. He's just a basketball player. He doesn't really have a position. So, I, I like a starting KD with how he sets the tone. I like that aspect of it, and I think that – when you have a guy like Jabari on the floor who could legitimately run the point, you have a guy like KD who can take it up the floor. You got a guy like Zip. You really don't need another guy. And I feel like when you've got Wendell coming off the bench, I feel like it kind of adds just a different wrinkle um, to the second unit that I really like. But also, you know, Bruce was experimenting with tons of different lineups tonight. And I, I really like to see that just to kind of see how it worked. We had some lineups with Wendell, KD, and Zepp on the floor at the same time. We had some lineups with Dylan, Jalen, and Jabari. And it was just a lot of a lot of moving around, going big sometimes, going small sometimes, just r- really riding the hot hands, but in the sense where it was like, if this guy's playing good, I'm not going to take him out because I'll put Zepp on their small forward because he's still playing good. Like, yeah, the guy's 6'7", and Zepp's, what, 6'1", but it's like, but he's playing good on him. And so he's keeping that – he's keeping the guys on the floor that are playing really well, and that's just another thing that, you know, I think that we're doing really well with. And it's just really fun to watch and just the different combinations of 
personnel that this team can go. It's just very versatile, and it's just really fun to watch. Yeah, well, I just want you to uh, take a moment and realize that it is Wednesday of Iron Bowl week, and we just spent the majority of our time talking about a normal, regular season Auburn basketball game. A loss at that. Does that talk more to Auburn basketball or Auburn football? I think that it talks to the program that Bruce has built and also the program that is a sinking ship that they are trying to just douse the flames before it goes under. I mean, uh, football is an absolute train wreck. And I think that was a great segue into our football discussion. So, Wheeler, would you like to take it away, the absolute train wreck that happened in Columbia where the Roosters just overcame the Tigers and Auburn lost 21-17? to Walk us through your thought process uh, during that one. I am typically not one to get angry at games. However, I was at a wedding this weekend during the game, breaking one of my cardinal rules of never attend a fall wedding. However, my wife made me. And I was in the wedding. But still, I was more scared of my wife than the groom, which is why I was at this wedding. I was watching on the side porch, so I will I will just say I do not have the most analysis of what happened because I was trying to talk fellow Auburn fans off the ledge. And the bride and groom decided it would be the perfect time to exit the ceremony as South Carolina is lining up to punt the ball with two minutes left. As they're reviewing the, the punt, this random woman that works at the venue tries to steal my phone because she wants to watch the game. Let me just tell you, it did not go well for this woman. I just had to look at her in the eyes and tell her, no, like, you have problems. You can't just take people's phones, especially at the end of the Auburn game. So I'm already pissed off that, first of all, this is even a thing. Second of all, that this woman's trying to steal my phone. Third, I got pissed off because I'm sitting there watching on my phone, and I'm like, huh, maybe these people that have like a 70-inch TV are able to see where this ball clearly hit Jalen Simpson's leg because I don't see it. And I do not understand, and this is not an excuse. Auburn should never have been in a position where this was the case. Also, I don't think that TJ was going to lead them down to a game-winning drive. The SEC officiating has been horrible this year. Why you buzz down and on an inconclusive piece of video overturn a call is shocking to me. It is absolutely shocking, appalling, but also I'm almost glad that it happened because that Auburn team did not deserve to win that game. And there did not need deserve to be a water bottle celebration at the end of that. That was one of the worst performances. I mean, honestly, we have been so kind to the coaching staff at Auburn. We, we have given the, we have told them high praise. I mean, said great job, Bobo. What, what kind of horrible plan was that? Tank Bigsby is running rough shot over the South Carolina defense, and they think it's a better idea to try and chunk it around with the backup quarterback. 
Okay. TJ Finley did enough to win the game. I'll give him that. He did enough as a backup quarterback to beat a really bad team. Why the play calls indicated this guy is going to be the leader that goes and leads your team to victory makes absolutely zero sense. I do not have a problem with the defensive game plan from Derek Mason. I know a lot of people got really angry that Shane Beamer came out and said, oh, we ran two plays in the entire second half. Well, guess what, Shane? You scored seven points. So is that really something to brag about? Not at all. Honestly, they wouldn't have scored another touchdown if freaking Dumbo didn't throw a 30-yard shot to Demetrius Drop Davis with the backup quarterback on our own 30-yard line. Like, this is freaking NCAA with Boise State. What kind of call was that? I mean, it was horrendous. It, I was questioning whether I had just imagined that happen or if that actually happened. Like, the fade route call at Penn State, I didn't like the call. I defended him. Okay? The calls against Georgia in the back of the end zone throwing it to Xavion Capers, didn't like the call, but I defended him. That call is indefensible. And honestly, probably one of the biggest reasons we lost the game. Because they're not scoring at the end of the half. And heck, if you run the ball with Tank Bigsby, we might run down there, score a touchdown. It's 21-7, ball game over. Mike Bobo lost the game. You know what? His son sucks, too. I don't think he's going to be even a player at Auburn. I know he's a recruit. Maybe you're good, man. But every time you played Central Phoenix City, who has Bama players on it, you get run. So don't think we need to keep Mike so that his son comes because that's been the only rationale that I've seen to keep Mike Bobo right now. I will say he's done a good job with Bo Nix. He's improved Bo Nix's footwork. Heck, maybe we can keep him as a quarterback coach. The play call, the play calls against South Carolina are the reason we lost the game. It wasn't on the players. Like they were they were calling plays to go to players that were not good when we had good players playing well. Ugh. It's sickening when the coaches lose the game. It's tough when the players lose the game. Like, when the receivers drop the ball, it's like, come on, man. Like, you got to be better than that. When the coaches lose the game, that that's just so frustrating because you know that they were way more talented than South Carolina. They were not even playing bad. That's the thing. If Tank Bigsby was having a bad game and Mike Bobo called that, I'm like, okay, he's getting desperate. Tank is having the best game he's had all season. And you take the ball out of his hands. Ugh, disgusting. I don't hope Tank Bigsby leaves. Whoever wrote that article of where Tank Bigsby is going to end up and all these people that keep commenting on his picture saying, you deserve better, you should transfer, please don't. Please, for the love of all things Auburn, do not comment on Tank Bigsby's Instagram that he should transfer if you're an Auburn fan. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I think that that's a – it's just the amount of DMs I've gotten from people saying that they hope that Tank transfers because he deserves better. I mean, I'm just like, how stupid can you be and still breathe? I mean, I just – I truly just don't understand those DMs personally. If you're one of those people that sent me those DMs, I love the fact that you follow. I love the fact that you're listening to the podcast. I hate the fact that you're asking me that. With the Mike Bobo situation, I, I so I, for those that do not know, I was I, I was in the stadium, and person and you know 
on, on your phone, you could not see where it was indisputable that the ball hit Jalen Simpson. On the massive jumbotron, I could not see where it was indisputable where the ball hit Jalen Simpson. I thought that was an absolutely atrocious call. Um, I didn't think the refs necessarily helped us out a ton that game, but the fact that it was close was just embarrassing to me. Tank Bigsby was averaging seven and a half yards per carry. If you give him the ball every play, statistically, you will score a touchdown and not have a third down a single time. Obviously, but the, see, you see, but like if someone said like, oh, we like they would have stopped him, but the thing is, they weren't. Like Tank was having his way. No matter what, if you gave him the ball back-to-back times, he was picking up eight yards, no matter what. If he got two straight carries, it was going to be an eight-yard game. And the, the thing that frustrated me the most, it wasn't even the fourth and one call. The fourth and one call, if you want to pass the ball on fourth and one, I don't agree with it. But if, you, if you've seen something, go for it. The thing that made me the angriest about that was that you've got Tank Bigsby in the game. You pull him out. So the second you pull him out, they know, okay, they're probably not going to run the ball. Like, yeah, Jarquez is good. They're probably not going to run the ball in fourth and one with Tank Bigsby when Tank Bigsby's been having his way the whole game. And what we do to be like, oh, let's bring a little bit of misdirection in. We bring in the five, six speed running back to play fullback as a lead blocker to be like, oh, look, guys, we're going to run the ball because we put this guy in at fullback in the I formation. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that you're not going to run the ball with that skill set out there. We throw the ball. It Obviously, it doesn't work because it was a horrible play call. South Carolina gets the ball, and I'm just like, I just don't understand. And I liked the fact – one thing I did, I did like the fact that they did not completely just change the game plan because we had a backup quarterback playing. They still let them throw the ball, whatever. The fact that your backup quarterback throws the ball 32 times when your starting running back was averaging seven and a half yards per carry on 22 carries, that is just absolutely absurd. I, South Carolina – When you're losing the game. Exactly. Their defense is not good. Like, when we – it was about about five and a half, six minutes left in the game. We've got timeouts. We've got all three timeouts. We have the ball, and we don't give it to Tank a single time on the drive. And I'm just, I, I was, I was dumbfounded. I was sitting there in the stands and I was like, how it, it baffles me that we do not give the ball to our best player in the most critical moment of the game. And it's one thing if there's a minute left and you don't have any timeouts, you can't run the ball because there's not enough time. There was plenty of time. They had not stopped him. There was no reason in the world to not give the ball to Tank Bigsby in that situation. I was, I was completely dumbfounded. And the thing, the thing is, I don't think, and this is, you know, obviously conspiracy theory. You can call me, you can call me conspiracy theorist. I don't really care. Mike Bobo did not want Tank Bigsby to win Auburn this game. Mike Bobo wanted TJ Finley to win the game. And I don't know if that was so that Bobo could say, oh, look, the, my quarterback won the game, or if he just wanted to build some of Finley's confidence going into the Iron Bowl. I don't know. He did not want Tank Bigsby to win this game, and it was very common because in every big-time moment of the game, he went to Finley. He did not go to Tank one time. Every, every time we got the offense rolling, we got close, he left Tank, and he went to TJ. And it was it, it's one thing if you do it with Bo Nix. It's one thing if you do it with the quarterback that has started 30-plus games. Like, 
You went with a backup quarterback who was making his first start in the school's uniform that game, and he wanted Finley to win the game, and it ended up losing us the game. If Mike Bobo – I don't think Mike Bobo will be fired. If Mike Bobo had been fired after that game, it would have been with complete due cause. Like, there would be no – you could not say – that. there is no way that you can say that Mike Bobo did a good job in that game. I don't think Derek Mason did a good job in that game, but he did good enough. The defense played good enough to win. TJ Finley played good enough to win. Every single player on the team played good enough to win the football game. Mike Bobo is the reason we lost that game. And I, like you said, we, we defend the coaches. I've defended, I've defended Bobo tirelessly. I've defended Mason tirelessly. I've defended Harson tirelessly. I'm sick of it. We're six and five. We just lost to Shane Beamer in South Carolina, who have had dogfights against Troy, dogfights against Vanderbilt, have gotten absolutely destroyed by horrible teams. And we lost. And we are 6-5. and five. Our recruiting is terrible. We're about to play Alabama, whose quarterback just set school records at a school where you've got two attack of Aloha, Mac Jones, you've got Joe Namath. You have multiple first-round picks, and this freshman – First year starting is breaking their records. They're going to destroy us because we are a six and five team. We had chance. We had hopes of winning the SEC West, and literally they just lit the ship on fire, and it is just barreling, barreling to the bottom of the ocean. Auburn football is an absolute train wreck right now. The only thing that could possibly, possibly pull this out is if some Auburn voodoo happens in Jordan-Hare Stadium and we somehow win the game, which won't happen. We are, a, we are six and five. This is, uh, it is just, the football program is in such a horrible spot. And you've got rumors of Brian Harson leaving, going to Washington. At this point, good riddance. If he wants to go to Washington, I truly couldn't care less. Auburn football is in such a deep hole. And if you gave Brian Harson if you gave Brian Harson a truckload of dirt, I don't know if he'd be able to fill the hole. Like Brian Harson, Mike Bobo, Derek Mason, they have done nothing in their coaching careers that make me think that they could salvage what we have left of this season and turn it into anything positive. Brian Harson, in his time at Boise State, he had a dynasty handed to him. Chris Peterson built everything that Boise State is and ever will be. He handed it to Brian Harson. Brian Harson just had to steer the ship. He was handed a rough program by Gus Malzahn, and he has brought it down. If you look, if we kept, if we still had Gus Malzahn, we would not be six and five. We we still lose to Georgia. We probably still lose to Penn State. We probably still lose to Texas A and M. We don't lose to Mississippi State. We don't lose to LSU. LSU, we probably lose to LSU. There is no way we lose to South Carolina or Mississippi State under Gus Malzahn. No way. Gus Malzahn would not – this South Carolina game, if, if, if Malzahn had a running back that was averaging three yards per carry, he would give the guy 30 carries. Like, Gus Malzahn always wanted to run the ball. If he had Tank Bixby having 30 carries a game, you know, he, he would do it. If, if a running – it just blows my now, mind. Now, you are remembering old Gus because last year Gus had Tank Bixby. And you know who never got the ball? And do you remember we'd get so mad? Because he was the only good, good thing. It's the same. I don't understand these coaches. Gus did it last year. Now we're doing it again this year. Give 
the man the ball. It's not that hard. Give it to him. Even in the games where he's not doing well on a couple of carries and they try and do something else, give the man the ball. It is what Pat Dye used to do with all of his running backs. It works. You cannot defend the run all day long. You can't do it. The offensive line is not that bad. In fact, I think the offensive line is going to have some success this week. Running, If you run opposite of uh, uh, Will Anderson, Alabama has some vulnerabilities. Yes, they, they, just, they definitely do. They definitely do. And I will say this. I don't, I don't want Bobo to be fired for one bad game. I want him to fix it. And I know that you were saying you don't care. You couldn't care less if Harson goes to Washington. I could. Do you know why? Because right now, LSU, Florida, and USC are all hiring a coach. Okay? So we're not going to get a good coach. If, if Harson leaves, Auburn's not getting a good football coach. We'll have three head coaches in three years. It is impossible to recruit against Alabama and Georgia, who are juggernauts, not to mention great recruiting. I mean, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, probably two of the best recruiters in college football. Their program's absolutely rolling, okay? So who's going to pick the school that's had three head coaches in three years when you could go play for the greatest coach of all time across the state or could go coach for the second-best coach in the country right now over at Georgia, okay? So at some point, Auburn, even if we don't have the best guy, is going to have to stick with a guy just to stay competitive because when you start turning people over, you become Tennessee, okay? The only person that Auburn could possibly hire that could salvage recruiting as the third coach in three years is Lane Kiffin. Maybe, and I mean absolutely maybe, P.J. Fleck. And I say maybe because he's very charismatic, but also he and Harson both have the same problem of having no connections in the Alabama area. And I will say this, okay? I know it feels like the ship is burning all around us because of two bad losses back-to-back weeks. The list of recruits that Harson and his staff have been able to get for this Iron Bowl is impressive. Okay, just listen. You're looking at me like, no. Okay, that's big. You know why? Because Mississippi State doesn't get that list of recruits. Ole Miss doesn't get that list of recruits. Arkansas doesn't have that list of recruits. They're not going to land 100% of them. But this staff has, there are two, maybe three people away from landing a top 20 class after going six and five, maybe six and six. Okay. So that, that would be impressive. You get a top 20 recruiting class and you get a couple of Juco guys. You tank doesn't leave. Owen actually stays from the draft. Bo Nix comes back and improves like he did from year to year. And the receivers don't have a drop problem next year. You never know. Uh, you may end up keeping Nick Brahms because the pilot industry is not great right now. You might be able to keep another guy. You got, uh, what's his name? Killian Zaire, even though he wasn't a starter. So when you start looking at it from the 10,000-foot view, I know it feels like the program's burning right now. And I know it seems like getting Harson to Washington would be really good. But there is a serious potential 
regardless of the outcome of this game, that Auburn lands a top 20 recruiting class, potentially gets a transfer or two, and is able to compete next season at the same level, if not a level higher, against an easier schedule next year. My viewpoint of this is, yes, I I agree with everything you've said, and that's what I've been telling a ton of people in my DMs all week. My thing is, if Brian Harson goes to Washington, it would be horrible for Auburn unless unless we could possibly hire Lane Kiff. If the 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 dream scenario is if Brian Harson and this is my dream scenario, like no no, no like no like Inside implications information. on this. If if Brian Harson, my dream scenario would be Brian Harson goes to Washington, we hire Lane Kiffin, and Will Muschamp as the defensive coordinator. Because I know you and me have both, you and me differ on this, but we have both said Lane Kiffin hasn't won anything, but Lane Kiffin and Will Muschamp will land Auburn a top 10 recruiting class within two years. No doubt in my mind. And so with that, I think that that would put the program back on track. Now, if Brian Harson get, if all those guys come back, you know, a lot of them, if Jacoby and Owen, you know, or is Jacoby? Jacoby has one year, I believe. If he, if he, Jacoby has an Jacobi. opportunity. I don't think yeah. there's a chance he comes back. No, but so, okay, so best case scenario, if you know Bo Nix will come back, which will probably happen, Tank Bigsby will, in all likelihood, still be at Auburn next year. If Cadillac Williams is still the running backs coach, Tank Bigsby will still be here. I believe that. the The thing with me, if you return the players, and it was kind of like the. It was after uh, 2018. You were like, yeah, you, you, we returned all five starters on the offensive line, and everyone talked about that. But it's like, well, they weren't that good. And Nick Brahms, he's an aver- he is an average SEC center. Killian Zaire, he is an average SEC left tackle. Keandre Jones, Tayshawn Manning, these guys are average to below average SEC guards. Like, it, the offensive line, best case scenario, it's the same. Best case scenario, it is the same as it was this year, which is meh. It is a meh offensive line. If Bo Nix takes steps, that's great. You look at the Auburn receivers. Kobe Hudson, he's a guy that could grow and actually be a good receiver. Xavion Capers, you're not getting anything more from him. Like, Javaris what, Johnson has improved. Javaris Johnson could maybe – he could maybe become a little bit better. Demetrius Robertson's gone after this year. So, I mean – That's not you a know, loss. I that's mean. not a huge loss. The tight ends, the tight ends, they're all kind of the same person. So the tight ends will probably all be the same. Defensively, you keep most of the defensive line that really matters. You keep the impact guys. If Owen comes back, the linebackers will be okay. Corners, you're going to lose McCreary. You're going to have Jalen Simpson and Nehemiah Pritchett as the top two guys. That'll either be a really good thing or a really bad thing. Jalen Simpson is either the best corner on the team or the worst player on the team. There is no in-between. If you look at his games against LSU and Texas A&M, you would watch it and be like, this guy's a first-round pick. If you watch his games against Mississippi State and South Carolina, you're like, this guy's a D3 football player. He played horrible against those teams. He played really good against others. I like Jalen Simpson. I think that if he can develop one year, I think he'll end up being okay. Nehemiah Pritchett, I think the corners will be okay. But Auburn hadn't really had great corners in the past. So it is what it is. The thing is, the team can get a little bit better. But my thing is, if we don't fix the root of the problem, like 
Yeah, the team the team should have won at least Mississippi State and South Carolina. They should have won those games. You can make the argument about Penn State. You can make the argument about Texas A&M. You can make that. Right now, we'd be eight and or we'd be we'd be eight and three. Probably would lose to Alabama if oh if Bo Nix isn't healthy. We'd probably lose to Alabama eight and four. Eight and four isn't going to do a whole lot. And my problem with Brian Harson is, and this could change in years and years, but my thing is, he is a guy who is all about the ball. He's all big and tough. He makes all of his coaches work out all the time. He's he's all about the ball. He preaches consistency. Well, guess what? We've blown double-digit leads in back-to-back weeks. We're six and five. If you talk all about the ball and you suck, no one cares. No one cares that you're all about the ball. You're not a good football. You're like, you're not good. Like, like Nick Saban, he's all about the ball. But yeah, okay. He's he's winning national championships. He's going to the playoffs. Like, you can be all about the ball. When Brian Orson, when you're all about the ball at Boise, okay, well, you're making New Year's Six Bowls. Good for you. Like, in the SEC, when you're dead last in the SEC West and you're getting manhandled by South Carolina, it's like no one cares that you're all about the ball because you suck. That's my thing. And I just don't – maybe Brian Harson will put it together and we can have a good year next year. But the thing is, if we don't change the root of the problem, if the root of the problem don't improve – and we, if we can get to the point where we can just hold on to leads, we'd be fine. But if we keep blowing leads, if that doesn't change, next year will be the exact same thing where we win six or seven games. So we'll have pretty much the best-case scenario of the same team. And so my thing is I just don't know how this is going to work out. And obviously we don't want to be Tennessee. Right now, though, Brian Harson has done – there is really one thing that he has done good at Auburn and that is win, win in Death Valley. If you look back on this season, that is the only definitive win you can say. Well, and Ole Miss, Ole Miss at home. Arkansas, the, the, the Arkansas win, that, 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 that doesn't impress me. Beating a top-10 team at home, that's great. Beating LSU on the road in Death Valley for the first time since 99, that's good. So two, two wins that are like, okay, good job, Brian, you did good. Meanwhile, you're 6-5, and five, your recruiting sucks, and you've lost to – a terrible team the week before the Iron Bowl. So. But we're, do you see what I'm saying here though of, I think Auburn has a better chance of making it to championship level by betting that Brian Harson can turn around the program than we do by getting rid of Brian and finding someone else and starting the whole process over. Yes, I totally agree. We should not fire Brian Harson. No, but I'm saying I don't hope he leaves. Like, you hope he leaves, which is the equivalent of saying you hope he gets fired minus the financial. I would not complain. Yeah, I I agree with you. I would not – I wouldn't say that I want him to leave. If we can hire – if we can hire someone that is proven to be good and is proven to be able to recruit – I would be okay with him leaving. Now, if we have a if we have another reach, then no. Like, if we can hire someone who is proven, if we can hire a Lane Kiffin, a Mark Stoops, even a Hugh Freeze, I would be okay with Brian Harson leaving. Well, I hope Brian stays. I don't think we'll know until next week. How different does the conversation look, though? And just. This is not too far off, the situation I'm about to paint for you. 
if Brian somehow upsets Alabama and he flips three recruits, then you will have beaten two top ten teams at home, beaten LSU and Death Valley, and have a top 15 recruiting class. And I don't think any of those are monumental, impossible tasks. Okay? I know that we feel really, really down on the team right now because of what they did. But if they beat South Carolina last week, which they were capable of doing. Yes. Okay? Beat Mississippi State. If they just held on and made it, I don't even know, 35 to 21, which they were capable of doing. You feel really good going into this Iron Bowl because you would think they're capable of doing this. They beat Ole Miss almost as bad as Alabama did. Okay? Obviously, Bo Nick's not there. That makes it tough. LSU just held Alabama to what? Like 21? 20, yeah. 20? So, I mean, do you think that LSU's defense with 15 starters, you know, sitting out, leaving, getting hurt, is significantly better than what Auburn's defense is? I don't. No. We think T.J. Finley's better than Max Johnson. I mean, literally, they were head-to-head at the same school, and T.J. started more games than Max Johnson. Okay? We crack on the Auburn receivers. The guys that are out there for Auburn right now at least are our starters, whereas LSU's on their second and third string guys. So I'd say the receiver talent is about equal. I don't think Ed Orgeron is far and away a better X's and O's coach than Brian Harson. Okay, so that happened. Arkansas has taken a sharp decline. You just said you weren't impressed by the Arkansas win. One touchdown away from beating Alabama last year, or last week. Last week. Earlier in the season. Florida, who almost lost to Sanford, who lost to Missouri, who got absolutely demolished by South Carolina. I mean, hammered them. One touchdown, went for two and lost the game. If they they get a two-point conversion, they beat the Alabama Crimson Tide. Fired their coach. Terrible season. Okay, so Texas A&M, who Auburn was in a dogfight with till Bo Nix fumbles, beat Alabama. So... There's only been one game in the SEC West that Alabama has really dominated, and that was the Mississippi State game. Now, guess what the difference is? Nick Saban was able to keep his guys focused and just have the same defensive game plan. That's the only difference in what Auburn and Alabama did to Mississippi State. We had the same capability. We have done everything that Alabama has done other than finish. And that's just the fact of the matter. Because Alabama has not had super impressive wins in the SEC this year. They haven't had their going away wins where they're one of the most elite teams in the history of football like they typically have. So to think that this game is going to be any more difficult than going and playing Ole Miss with C.J. Finley, I think if they played again and Lane Kiffin doesn't go for it on fourth down on his own 20-yard line, and plays real football, it's a very different game. Auburn has the capability 
to win this game. And it's not even like a far-reaching homer opinion. If you sit down and you look at the results and you just have – it just has to have one game where they put it together. One game. And TJ had good games when he was at LSU. He has a week of film. I mean, at the end of the day, maybe we can run some trick plays. But we were right there with Georgia. We were right there. And I didn't, and that Bo Nix really didn't do anything against Georgia. He didn't do any of his scrambling stuff against Georgia. Like, he was just sitting back there throwing. Like, Bo Nix didn't do anything against Georgia that TJ couldn't have done against Georgia. There were games that Bo Nix did more than TJ was pe- capable of. But the way that Georgia was running it, they just boxed Bo into the pocket and put a spy on him, and made sure he couldn't run. And he didn't, and the receivers didn't catch the ball. If the receivers catch the ball, that opens it up for Tank. And Mike Bobo is not Mike Bonehead, and he actually hands the ball to Tank. You got a chance. Owen not playing kills us. Maybe they can give him some Tordal and he can get out there. I'm just saying, it doesn't take the voodoo magic of Jordan here to beat Alabama, but it would certainly help. I agree. I think you've made some. I think you've made some great points. My thing is, if so, if Bo Nix was playing, I would have much more confidence. But it would be confidence in Bo Nix. It's not that I don't have. I don't think. I think this is the worst team that Nick Saban has had at Alabama in years, like years. Like I, I mean, maybe since if you look at the year. whole. Yeah, if you look at the whole last decade of Alabama football, I think every single one of those teams, like from 2010 to 2020, was better. Well, maybe not 2010. But even then, 20, I, I think that 2010, 2010 and 2021 Alabama, I think I, – I truly think 2010 Alabama wins by a touchdown or two. Like, And that was the – I mean, that was a three-loss Alabama team. If you I, – I just – if we had Bo Nix, I would feel a lot more confident. Because I have confidence in Bo Nix, because I have confidence in Tank Bixby, because I have confidence in Colby Wooden, Roger McCreary, those guys. The player – it's not that I think – that Alabama's players are so much better than ours. It is just that, and with, with what you were saying, I don't necessarily not trust that our players will play well against Alabama's players. I just don't have any faith that our coaches will not get totally outcoached like they, like we we got outcoached in South Carolina, who's a just not a good coaching staff. Like I don't think Mike Bobo is going to call a good game against Alabama. If we jump out to a lead, I feel like we're going to blow it. Like, I, and this is, this is, I mean, I just, I, I'm not trying to look at Auburn football this way because I really want to just look at it in a good light. And I do agree with you that there, that there is potential. There's potential to win the Iron Bowl. There's potential to turn recruiting around. There's definitely potential. I just don't trust that we'll do it. That is my thing. With what you were saying about finishing, I totally agree. The, the, the teams are not super dissimilar, but I just don't trust that our team is going to get it done. Like, I don't – I think I, – I just, I just really don't think so. Like, I'll be, I'll be in the game. I'll be, I'll be cheering Auburn on. I just don't think we'll win. And that's just my thing. I, I just 
it's not that I don't think we can't. I think that we have a decent chance. I don't think Alabama's good. I think that our home environment will help us out. I think that if Tank Bigsby can get going, something might happen. I just don't think we'll win because I just don't trust Mike Bobo. I don't trust Derek Mason. I don't trust Brian Harson. I don't trust any of them. And the thing is they haven't given me a reason to trust them. And I think that that is the biggest problem when you look back that they have not definitively done something where you're like, okay, that was really good. And I just think that with, when you look at Alabama's coaching staff, I think it is just so much better than ours that it will just – that that will be the defining factor. And I think that the game could possibly be close. Like, I think that we could lose in a close game. I just don't see us winning this one. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope that we can come on next week and you can rub it in my face and say, I told you so. We flipped Alabama commits, which there was uh, – I'm blanking on his name. There wasn't an Alabama – a four-star Alabama linebacker commit that received a crystal ball to Auburn today. I would love to flip some guys. Our recruiting class end up being respectable. Auburn wins an Iron Bowl, wins our bowl game, and you can get on here, rub it in my face, and tell me that you told me so. I would love it like nothing else. I would love it. I would love it if Brian Harson was the guy for the job. Like, I mean – thing is I do like the guy like I, I like the guy when it is working but the thing is when you preach consistency and you're not consistent and when you preach all about the ball and you're six and five I'm kind of like okay that doesn't impress me but if we can turn it around and you know it all works out I would be the happiest person ever and I would love for you to just rub it in my face and say I told you so but I just don't think it'll happen but we'll see. We'll see on Saturday at 2.30. We'll see what happens. I just have very little faith. From what I saw in the basketball team, I saw fight. I saw great coaching. I saw great playing. I, I saw a, a team that played really well and coached a good game and just, just lost because that's just how it happens sometimes. Against South Carolina, I saw us just not doing good. Against Mississippi State, I saw us just blowing it. Against Texas A&M, I saw us just not playing good. That is what bothers me, and that is what I hope to fix, whether it be with this coaching staff next season or if they leave a new coaching staff. I just hope that we can get those problems fixed. That is all I care about. I agree. So let's, let's wrap it up. Score prediction for Saturday. I would say – I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm low. I'm low right now. I would say 31 to 10. Alabama. Mm. That's tough. That is. I mean, I, if we had Bo Nix, I would, I would have. I mean, if we had Bo Nix, I think we would. We probably still would have lost to Mississippi State. Maybe, maybe could have won that. We we beat South Carolina, no doubt in my mind. We beat South Carolina with Bo Nix as our starting quarterback. If Bo Nix was playing, I think it would be a little bit more of a maybe a 28-21 to 21 kind of thing. But, I mean, I just have so little confidence in us to win this game right now. And maybe as we get closer, I'll get, you know, get more high on, high on it when I'm seeing all of the, all the stuff. But I just – I'm just low right now. 29-21. Auburn. Now, see, I definitely like what you're get where you're going there because if we win this game, I think it'll be a weird. We'll have a weird score. 
We will. <laughs> something, something weird's gonna happen if that's a, if we do win this game. It will not just be because we just lined up and played football. Something no. weird will happen, and we'll have a strange score. But no, well, let me just take you on. Let's take the listeners on a journey that I, it just hit me of weird things that have happened in the Auburn Iron Bowls in the 2010s. Okay, 2019. No one needs to any reminding. Zacoby McLean, before he wore number nine, before he was honestly good, catches an interception off of Najee Harris's butt. Smoke Monday also had a pick six. And then the doink. That's three weird things. 2017 Iron Bowl. I don't think anything weird happened. I think we just lined up. We just up. dominated them. The weird thing that happened is Alabama was dominating on the ground and they decided to throw the ball with Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. I guess that was kind of weird. 2015, before, well, not before, people all remember the prayer in Jordan here 2013. It was replicated by Jeremy Jason Johnson Smith. and Jason Smith in the 2015 Iron Bowl. I actually missed that play because I was in the bathroom because I figured I wasn't going to miss anything when Auburn was on the field. I was mostly right that day. Was it 2015 also that Alabama got away with the safety? You might remember their returner caught the ball outside of the end zone and then stepped back and took a knee. A weird thing that did not get reported. 2013, kick six. 2011, well, nothing happened in 2011 other than uh, 20, we got 2011, our teeth in. 2011 and 2012 and 2014 were fairly normal games of football where Alabama just beat us. Uh, Alabama threw five interceptions in 2014 and still won. That was the game that got uh, Ellis Johnson fired because <laughs> it was bad, bad. Uh, okay, so we got 2011, nothing happened. 2009, Terrell. A weird one. Kids, Zachary, <laughs> got a touchdown. Wes Byram got an onside kick and didn't tear his ACL. Ah, the good old days. Too soon. 2007, Brandon Cox led the Tigers to their last win in the streak. 2005, Brody Croyle got sacked many, many times. In 2003, I don't remember the 2003 Iron Bowl. All I know is it was the year after the Trey Smith game, very similar to the TJ Finley game. The, TJ um, Finley can go down as the Trey Smith of quarterbacks if we win this game. The uh, the O three the O three game we just we had a lot of chunk plays I remember because Cadillac scored on that that eighty yard eighty yard touchdown the first play of the game, uh, and then our uh, and then Jason Campbell had a had a bomb to Ben Obamanu that ended up scoring, so that was kind of a a weird one. There was just and I think Alabama had a kicker turn for a touchdown that game. That game was very explosive plays for the scoring plays. That two thousand two team was not dissimilar. To this team, 
Yeah, but that Alabama team was not exactly the number three team in the country. Well, I think that this team is inflated, personally. <laughs> anyway, there's your review. Oh, never forget the 97 Iron Bowl when all Alabama had to do was run out the clock and they decided to throw a screen pass that got intercepted. That's a lot a lot of uh, voodoo and Jordan Hare that hopefully we see again this year. I definitely, definitely hope we'll see it. I would be very surprised, very surprised if we do. I mean, I, I don't think we necessarily play horrible. I, I, I'm kind of expecting, similar to the Georgia game, I'm expecting them to kind of gradually pull away and us just not execute. That is what I just I'm don't think they're as good that. as Georgia, though. But that's fair. Similar type game. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, you know, a lot of people are, you know, we've got a lot of a lot of sunshine and roses people like you who are all always looking for the good, which is usually a little a little different. I mean, usually I'm I'm more of the you know, you're more of the get get lower about the losses and get higher about the the small victories. But, you know, I'm I'm very low right now and hopefully an Iron Bowl win will be able to put me back to, to where I usually am. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but obviously uh we'll be able to to break that down next week on the podcast episode. Hopefully we'll be talking about an Iron Bowl win. I'd be surprised if we were. We'll just see. Uh we'll be talking about Basketball. I mean, basketball will probably be the focus of that podcast. Unless we win the Iron Bowl, then we're going to be talking a lot about football. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, as always, if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to DM the page. Uh, and War Eagle. War Eagle.